0: Hello. Welcome to The Bittersweet Life. We're so glad you're here. I'm Katie Sewell. I've been working in radio for over 15 years. A few years ago, I took a risk. I quit my job. My job as the lead producer of a daily public radio show. And I moved to Rome. Just for a year. And that is where this show began. And Rome is where my co-host Tiffany Parks lives. Although she grew up here in Seattle with me. We met on the school bus in the sixth grade, and now we host this show together, for you, whether you boldly moved overseas like Tiffany did, or reluctantly moved with much anxiety and regret like I did. And this isn't just a show for expats, it's a show for repats and explorers and people trying to get their courage up to do something new. It's a show about taking risk, trying new things, about exploration and discovery, about learning to fit in questions of home, questions of belonging, of what we want from the life that we have, about what we want to see, about how we want to change. Each show has a theme, so you can jump around if you wish. Or better yet, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows, and join us for the entire journey. The early episodes where we are both in Rome, the current episodes where I'm in Seattle and Tiffany is in Rome and the future episodes, when I move, temporarily again, to New Orleans. Join us, subscribe, tell your friends, and let us be your friends on your journey. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life, with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I am joined on a rooftop in Bucieres, Mexico, with Jorge Moreno. He became an unexpected fan favorite when he went from a bartender working at a Mexico resort in a reality show called Bachelor in Paradise Moved In. Filmed there, and he went from being a behind-the-scenes person to an on-camera beloved advice giver to the contestants on the show and a person that the fans at home felt like they could relate to. Now, I met him the other night in Bucilleras, Mexico, when he graciously accepted the invitation to attend my sister's wedding as a surprise to many of the guests who were here, many of whom loved the show and thought that he was by far the best person on it. And my new brother-in-law reached out to him, what, a month ago and asked you to come?
1: Yes, about a month ago. He just sent a tweet and say, Would you like to come to my wedding? And I answered right away, and I said, Yes.
0: And we were talking the other night after the wedding, dinner and this is not the first time you've been invited to weddings.
1: No actually this, well this is the first time I got invited but the other wedding was four days before yours so <laughs> technically this was the first invitation but the first one to attend I was the other one. Right.
0: I do want to talk to you a little bit about what it was like to actually be on a reality show since so many people watch them and often wonder how real they actually are but I also want to talk about just who you are and Uh, I should explain that we're sitting exactly in the location of the wedding so if you hear some noise in the background we're sitting on a rooftop outside there's construction noise there's people going by and that's just the way it is so but I do want to talk about you where did you grow up
1: okay well I grew up on the state of Nayarit I know there's people from all over the world that they will listen to this so you have an idea is Puerto Vallarta Bay Area in Mexico is located on the state of Jalisco and from that point, about four hours north, the capital state of the next uh, state, Nayarit, the capital is called Tepic, T-E-P-I-C. That is where I grew up, and I was there until I was the age of 21. And something you didn't know, that I was an expat. Yes. Also, I went to um, to live to Arizona for about 13 years. And I decided to come back to Mexico. And at the very beginning of 2008, I had a blessing in this guy, some family issues. And I decided to come over to Mexico to help my family. Once I got like a three-month barrier, you know, like I got so used to Mexico, I decided not to go back to the United States. So I've been here almost 10 years. When the swain flu happened, I had a blessing in disguise. I had a restaurant and everything went bananas. <laughs> yeah, no bueno. But at the same time, you know, something, something good came out of it. I decided to go to a place that will remember, it will bring me back to what I enjoy a lot, being an expat, being outside of my country. There is a place called Sayulita, Mexico, which is from my hometown about two hours south of the peak sayulita is a place that has lots of expats so i came over they had to live in there in september of 2009 and once you know i started looking for a job i found this place they say you know it's very secluded we're gonna have a lot of people coming from the united states it's kind of quiet relaxed and i got the job there as a bartender and, and it was cool you know very laid back very chill and i enjoyed it a lot and then and then you know a few years later few years later, I was in charge of, uh, you know, the, the alcohol department, which is the bar. This uh, ABC show, TV show from the United States, they came over and they wanted to film on that location because it was very secluded. And they say, we want to film in this place. You know, we want all the employees to be adios. We don't want anybody here. We got our own production and everything. And I talked to them and I said, you know, I could do, you know, like serve the drinks. Well, they told me that I could do that, but, you know, I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone. So one thing led to another, me as a bartender. On this age of the the, the people, the contestants, 20s, mid-20s, you know, some of them early ages, some of them 30s, whatever, when you tell them not to do something, actually they do the opposite. So these guys, the girls, they start talking to me a little more, a little more. And there was the moment when the production came over and said, you know, you're being well accepted by the cast members. So we're going to throw you into the show. And that's how everything happened.
0: Was there a period of time when you tried not to talk with them? They would come to you and you'd brush them off?
1: Yes. The very first five days that we started recording, I was warned that every time the cameras were around, I had to walk away. Anytime that they try to engage with me in a conversation, I will have to say, sorry, I'm not allowed to talk to you. You can get, you can ask me for a drink and then go away. That's exactly how um, how started the first five days until they realized that the cast members were sharing things that they weren't sharing with anybody else after a few drinks with the bartender. And then it's when they're like, I think we're going to use you.
0: And what did you think? Did you want to be used?
1: Uh, to be honest, at the beginning, I found it like very... Fun, very fun. Yes, uh, one thing I must be—I uh, must tell you this, Kate—that I never seen the well. At that moment, as they were recording, I never seen the show. I had no idea how much people like that. I have—it is a franchise that now is been going on for fifteen, maybe sixteen years, and I had no clue what was on, what was on. I mean, no idea. So it was very excited just to say, you know, in my country that showed. He's not on the air, so uh, it didn't make a difference to me. So I just say, just let it ride and, you know, have a good good time with these kids, and they they were awesome. I had a good time, yes.
0: When did you start to realize that people were picking up on you as a quote-unquote character, that you were becoming somebody that people loved?
1: Uh, Thank you. (laughs) When I find out is after a cast member spent, I don't know, let's say a couple hours there at the bar having a few drinks, and, you know, we kind of... She got a lot of questions. She was 27 year old girl. I'm 44 now. Uh, and you know, as she's asking me a few things. I try to use just personal, you know, nobody told me what to say. I use my personal life and I say, you know, this is what I think. It was a true, honest comment to her and, and that made her open up their, her eyes and, and she realized that it was a good advice, that it wasn't made up or anything. So it was a matter of her going to the other friends, the other cast members, and they say, you know, I was hanging out at the bar, and this guy, you know, he started telling me these things, and everybody were like, wow, that's a good advice. And that, that's what happened. Then later on, one by one, uh, they started showing up, and something that I kind of did at a purpose was like, anytime you want to have a shot, I'm never going to say no. So some of them, every time they felt lonely or whatever they like jorge can we have a shot I'm like yeah let's do it never say no
0: (laughs) and how much of your on-camera presence do you not remember jorge
1: (laughs) no actually you know what every time i made a fool of myself you know abc were very cool that they edited me out (laughs) no actually you know i uh only one time i got a little too bad a little too many drinks but um as soon as i felt them they're like, well, come over. We want to do an interview with you. And I say, I did not sign for this. And I walked away because I was, I was done for my day. So they almost got me, but no, no, no time on the on TV when I'm like a little too much alcohol. Yeah.
0: So in these moments where you're starting to give advice to cast members and such, how aware of the cameras are you?
1: The very first season, I was very concerned because uh, when you're, you're talking that it is, two cast members in the bar with me is an average of maybe four cameras around so at the beginning I will be you know it was a great thing that the first five days I wasn't involved so I kind of knew how the cameras move what they did and I started learning you know like listening to them saying oh just don't you know just pretend that the camera's not there so I got a good coaching without even knowing that I was going to be on the first week you know so once I find out that I was going to be on camera, you know, I was a little nervous and looking and, and they'd be like, hey, look at my eyes. Don't worry. You know, just, and, and I started getting relaxed. And of course, you know, after a couple of shots, uh, you don't care much. And um, which, a matter of fact, right now, I'm kind of nervous. I should have a shot before we started. You know,
0: I run downstairs. We have plenty of alcohol.
1: <laughs> ah, no worries. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so um, it was easy. It was easy after those advices, after they made me feel so welcome. But I must tell you this that after the first season, when we finished filming and after they were gone, it took me about a week waking up in the middle of the night thinking that we were filming still. It was very stressful. It was post trauma or something like that, you know, like after they were gone. I mean, I got so used to it that three four a.m. just waking up dark room like not necessarily where am i at it's more like oh gosh i I fell asleep and the cameras are rolling but that was the only yet like what i would say that i felt that that it was it was stressful yes it was stressful
0: was it addictive
1: yes yes well as soon as we finished the first season, I had no idea how successful this was gonna be or if people were gonna accept me over there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first year, I'm like, you know, they're gone, whatever. When they decide to come back the second year and they came over and they say, we wanna invite you into the show, we would like to have you as a guest, We people love it, we wanna put you in. I was very flattered and I say, yes, yes, let's do it. At that moment, is when i i knew that i was gonna have it again and and then is when he got to ag- get addicted i got very addicted to it and um not much into social media before but after the second show um, i start going a little more you know they were like you got to do this and in i try not to be slave of my phone and unfortunately at that point i kind of became slave of my phone second season is over it's on the air time passed by third season is coming over and i'm already looking forward for it very much looking forward for it when they came over they tried you know but they did a different role this year like hey jorge we're gonna tell we want you to say goodbyes and at that moment i felt so disappointed i'm like but i want to be on it i want to be on the show don't don't tell me goodbye and um I do believe, you know, that we all have an ego and that's what it was hurting on me. But not knowing the plan, you know, the big picture at the beginning, I was a little disappointed, but once they explained to me what was the new role and everything, I was like, okay. So it's addicted. yes, next year, I'm already thinking that, you know, I may not be there. So I'm already preparing myself to not, to not be disappointed next year.
0: Yeah. What was the new role that they wanted you to take?
1: After the third season that they show, Bachelor in Paradise 3, I decided to quit the hotel that I was working at. And I decided to start my own little business, you know, uh, showing people around the area that I grew up on, taking people to really off the beaten path, you know, hidden places, hidden gems, uh, waterfalls, petroglyphs, ancient places, private beaches, and so on. And that was a hobby that I used to do on my own time. Just a hobby, and I decided. You know, they say that if you um, if you work loving what you do, you're gonna be good at it. And I just decided to start the business like that, and it's been successful. It's a small. And this year, you know, that was the idea. The new role we're gonna help you to promote what you do. So uh, this year, I uh, after finishing the Jorge de Bartender, I end up being uh, Jorge de Tour Guide. And they call me Jorge Torres, which uh, that's that's my new role now. Well, that was my new role this year. We'll see what happened next year.
0: Right. Yeah, right. I've always been curious and I'm not going to ask you about actual cast members, because as you well know, I did not watch your show. Yep. So I will I will have to go back and watch now. But I've always wondered about reality shows and how much you actually know the people who are working behind the scenes and how their movements are. You know, you said that you're surrounded by four cameras, but what about the producers and um, the directors and all those people? How present are they around you?
1: Well, I must tell you, you know, in cameras, what you see is only cast members, but this production has about 270 people and there is lots and lots of people around. I mean, if, if you think that you're there by yourself, you're not. It is surrounded, but you know, every camera guy has a guy in charge of the sound, another assistant, you know, changing the tapes, changing the batteries and checking all that, so it's a lot of people. In other words, you know, you got six cast members, you may have 15 people behind them. The presence is there. It's always going to be a few producers around, but the ones that you can see, well, the, the place The place is kind of small, so you cannot put those many. So there is a lot of people that they work on a remote you know over the radio and guiding the few that they're around.
0: And do you know those people as well as you know the cast members?
1: Well, one of the things is the cast members I'm not allowed to know them until they show up, so I never know who's coming. In production, yes, well, working with them for the last uh, three seasons, I do know I know a bunch of them. But, on this kind of business, I realized that they these people they don't have a job forever, you know from the first crew I met on season one, beautiful people, really nice, and the second year, I was expecting to see the same people, and I said, you know thirty percent of them were new. This year, I was expecting to see you know some of those people, and actually I may- maybe it's twenty percent of the original people working in there. So it is a lot of turnover because it's stressful it's 24 hours a day you know it's it's, it's a reality show they don't last forever they always you know changing new people and
0: is there any reality in it at all with the exception of maybe it's not scripted I would think with that many people around the cast members are going to be acting different than they might if they were just sitting at home you know or on vacation with their family is there any sense of reality in it
1: I'll tell you this, since all these people are so used to the cameras following them around, honestly you know it doesn't make much of a difference for them to be with cameras or without the cameras. Because quite often there is hidden cameras, hidden microphones that you see scenes that these guys don't know. Actually, sometimes they don't think, you know. And they did it on purpose, you know. They walked away and, and they, they don't think that they're being recorded and them themselves. And if you check what's going on when they're, what, what is obvious the cameras are around, and when they are in places where there is hidden cameras, it's pretty, pretty alike, it's very alike. So, reality, there is reality in it, and um, to be honest, you know, it's, it's not scripted, but also at the same time, these people will do anything, you know, sometimes, not all of them, but a lot of them will do anything to uh, be, you know, outstand everybody else. So sometimes you will see people that they get a little crazy, but they got to do something so people will look at them and say, wow, look at this person. Just for acknowledgement, people do crazy things.
0: Did you watch the show? Did you watch yourself on the show?
1: Uh, The very first one, yes. They hand me uh, the show on it in a USB with which I was able to watch it, you know, fast forward the places that I was or what I seen or what I knew in uh, no commercial so it was very easy for me the third season i did not watch and the last one i did not watch either
0: and why is that
1: okay to be honest i've been really busy so i did not have enough time to to do it and enjoy it and uh, yes no no i i I, besides you know there is a moment that when you become part of that you know you may do crazy things too so which i did and i didn't want to see myself doing any of that (laughs)
0: It's like what, not wanting to watch yourself on film or hear yourself on tape. So you're not going to listen to this interview either, right?
1: Oh, no, I will. I will. As a matter of fact, this morning I was just checking, you know, the uh, the, the, your Instagram account that I believe
0: oh, you. Oh, which you just started, by the
1: way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I realized that. You just started, which will be a good thing. You know, I will tag you and hopefully you will have 100,000 followers by the end of uh, this season.
0: I don't even know that we've ever announced the Instagram account on the show yet. Our first intern is going to be starting with us in a month and she was like, you have to get on Instagram. And so I basically threw that account up there maybe a week ago. So you're like the first post or the second post <laughs> on the whole thing.
1: Yeah, the second post. As a matter of fact, you know, as I was coming into the house, I realized I'm like, wow, I'm the second post and I just <laughs> met her, you know, three days, th- a couple days ago. I'm like, wow, this is new
0: you want to know something really sad is I sat there for a good long time going, ah, now how do I put a picture up? Like, I didn't even know how to do it.
1: Uh, you know what? It's like riding a... Well, I cannot say it's like riding a bicycle. But, you know, it is It is kind of simple. Besides, you know, your nephews, they're the kids now. They can show you any tricks you can. Yeah. Any tricks, you know, on Instagram and all this much social media. They're very savvy on those things.
0: So, anyway, so I want to uh, jump back, though, to... Um, to you, you're an expat for 13 years in Phoenix. How did you end up doing that? Why did you decide to move to the United States?
1: Uh, I was the age of 22. I was misbehaving really, really bad here in Mexico. Um, at that age, I was still with my parents, and you know, pretty much they gave me a warning. They say you go into the United States. I'm like, no, I'm not. They're like, yeah, either that or the street. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, okay, I'll take that one. Uh, they put me on a plane on december 18 i say can you at least wait for christmas new year's and they're like no you're gonna be we're not gonna see you for the next 15 days so i was behaving that bad they say you and they told me either you're gonna get worse or you're gonna get straight up and um after being there by myself finding that uh, i could not if i would have fallen nobody would be there to pick me up it, they made me grow up so that was the main reason why i went over there
0: that's interesting. So, you were basically sent there as a punishment.
1: Pretty much, yes. That's what they say. You know, we want we don't want to... If you're going to wreck your life, we don't want to see you here. So, adios.
0: So, they sent you to Arizona or did they send you somewhere else?
1: Actually, well, uh, they sent me to California at the beginning. I had a brother over there. <clears throat> and I think I think that was the punishment, you know. My brother was a little hard. So, I lasted two months in there. And I said, mm, I got to find my own thing in I was on my way to Chicago. Vehicle broke down on Phoenix. And I tried to find a spot there where, something that I ask around is like, I want to go to a place that is not too many Mexicans or Latinos or people that will speak Spanish. And I was told, you know, going east about 15 miles, it is a city called Mesa, Mesa, Arizona. Back in 95, we're talking that there was no Spanish-speaking people there. And I threw myself in so I could learn English. So I could learn. And, and I don't know where I learned that one, to be honest. Two months in there, and, and, and I say, I'm going there. And my family asked me, why there? I say, because no one is here. Uh, it
0: seems like, can, wait, let me just, before you go on, that seems like an extreme, though. You're saying, first, I will not leave Mexico, and then you're like, well, I don't even want to be around Spanish-speaking people at this point. Like, what was the change there? Was it just that you wanted to learn English faster, or was it something else?
1: Actually, I think I sober up, and I, after two months, not having my friends around, that they were the bad influence. Uh, no drugs, no alcohol, no much of that. I kind of found myself. Okay, I have no chance to go back to Mexico because my parents don't want me nearby. If I'm here, might as well. You know, I gotta do something. That I saw in in something in a box. Vini vini vidi vici. So at that time, I was a smoker, and and when I when I saw that, it kind of uh, it kind of hit me. That one, I say, you know what, I gotta do something. At that age, when you're 22, I say I gotta do something that I. Eventually will bring something good to my life, and that's why I decided to go that extreme, and I just went and no speaking English at all in the city that they didn't have people speaking Spanish. I had an amazing awakening experience, and it was hard, but uh, I did
0: it.: uh, Yeah, no kidding. See that I didn't even I never got good at Italian while I was there, so. I was terrible. Wow. So, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so you, so you go to that extreme. We actually just a few weeks ago did a show where they had just done this survey where they were talking about where the best places to live around the world as expats were, the best top five and the five worst places. And I don't remember where the United States was in a ranking on that, but how was it for you? What did you, what did you feel like? Was it a good place to be an expat?
1: Yes, it was a very good place because... I learned a lot. The first two months that I was living in California, it felt like I was living in Mexico still. So when I moved on and went to the other place, Mesa, Arizona, everything was new. Every single thing, any habits that anybody were around me, it was a learning experience. Uh, I cannot say necessarily there is now United States is for expats. I think it's a lot of immigration. I don't think it is such a huge community like what I see on expats in here in Mexico. So I cannot honestly describe it because uh, I, I consider myself an expat there. But uh, I didn't have those many around me. So don't know.
0: Yeah, you were sort of on your own.
1: Pretty much, yeah. So if I would be living there in a community, like if I would stay in California, I would be able to give you a little more input on in that department.
0: Well, there's just been so much talk because of uh, our new president and his desire to build a wall across the border of Mexico and the United States. I think it does raise questions of what does it feel like to be a Mexican person who moves the United States because our president seems like he has so much animosity toward foreigners from almost everywhere. But you're, of course, the closest country that he's attacking. So any input on that? Any thoughts?
1: On 45?
0: (laughs) You don't even say his name, I know.
1: No, uh, 45, honestly, you know, I <clears throat> at the beginning, you know, I believe we we're victims of the media, and I know it's bad. I know, you know, there's a lot of ignorance, whatever. But um, we got a worse president or no, on, on, on our, our country. We got a worse one. So at the beginning, I was concerned. But, you know, yes, we're neighbors. He's attacking us. I think it could be a blessing in disguise him trying to get rid of all those immigrants i think i, I wish they can do that i wish he could deliver that and, and it may sound wrong don't take me wrong please they they say that they don't need they don't need immigrants and you know that is a country that it was made out of immigrants and um expats or whatever you want to call them but
0: <clears throat>
1: i will have Thorn's feelings about that one because I'm more concerned about the one we have in here. I understand he's not everybody like him. I know why, but uh, no, no, no much comments about him. You know, it's just not not the greatest at all, at all. Everybody. There is a lot of people that are ashamed about him. <clears throat> you know, honestly, I just learn through the time just to ignore because it's not even worth it.
0: What makes you so much worse?
1: Uh unfortunately on my country we've been ruled by a we've been ruled by this government that they are the way they do things, I'm not big fan of it. We have the last two presidents on their terms. They were able to pay the external debt that Mexico had with United States. Two terms, twelve years. We were even Steven United States, okay? Then this new guy comes back from, it is a party called PRI. Uh, he comes back. He's been on government for the last five years, okay? We're already twice as much in debt than before. And I don't agree on the way they govern. Unfortunately, my country's a lot of ignorance. There is not people that they're prepared. And the way they do things is like this. You're a poor family. We're going to give you, for your kids, $25 a month for each kid. Now you're a single mom, we're going to give you $50 a month because you're a single mom. You don't have a way to support yourself. You're a grandma. Oh, we're going to give you a TV, a flat screen TV. You're a kid that is going into fifth grade. We're going to give you a, a tablet. You're an older person. Well, we're going to give you money every month because you're 65 years old. All your kids, you know, they're gonna get uniforms. Government pays for everything. We're gonna do this. It's about they're trying to they're hitting the population that is more vulnerable, giving all this much stuff away. And these people say, Oh these guys are good, you know, the last president or two before, you know, they didn't give us anything. So they don't realize these people that they're gonna end up paying three times more. And by having by accepting all these many things and thinking this is a good government, I had a feeling that the next term is going to be just the same party, the same, the same way to govern. It's not the right way to grow if, if we want to go somewhere, just to give everything away.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go over to your town. Where are you currently living?
1: Now I live in Sayulita, Nayarit, which is from Puerto Vallarta Airport, about 45 minutes north.
0: And that is where the show is filmed also?
1: That's exactly where the showroom is filmed. Uh, the place is, the town is called Sayulita, but this resort where they film as the crow flies is a little bit west, a couple miles west, outside of town.
0: All right, so well, I went there just the other day. Beautiful little town, but little. Like it doesn't seem, I mean, we walked up into the neighborhoods a little bit, but the downtown area is, you know, you could probably walk through it in 10 minutes or something like that. It's a, it's a small place. I don't know how many people actually live there, but do you know? Do you happen to know?
1: Well according to the last census they're supposed to be 5000 people but um we believe it's more like 7000. Yeah. Yes because we got a lot of people that they're not registered or they don't they don't go into the census. yes yeah,
0: So we were talking a little bit about this uh and of course we were standing out because it's not it's not the height of tourist season right now. So we were standing out as people wandering about not knowing what we were doing but we did notice while we were there that there seemed to be a lot of expats zipping around in golf carts or walking up and down the street who are those people where are they from
1: so what makes sense this town it is a town that has a lot of uh, surf on high season which is cold season for you in the united states which is uh i would say or high season from november until um, april may uh, we get a good surf most of the people are coming from the west coast of united states and canada i would say you know we get a lot of people from california oregon washington state uh, uh, british Columbia, and alberta lots on high season that's what you see the most but actually i can tell you in that sound there is people from every single place uh, you name it canadians americans south americans europeans uh, I know people from France, Italy, I know Germans from everywhere that now they became locals so back in the day 70s 80s it would be more like California now it's everywhere because once they find out that this is a very welcome town for expats they're coming more and more.
0: What makes it a welcome town?
1: The way the locals back in the sixties start seeing Americans so people that they were in very they weren't from the culture. they kind of learned that those people being around they were doing well, you know a little better income, a little better lifestyle in the locals, okay, I can see this on my hometown. sorry that if I bounce all over okay. on my hometown, there is no such thing as expats, and time you see some Americans or Canadians. It's not necessarily that they don't make them feel welcome. It's more like you won't feel at ease. And in Sayulita it is a town that you in and you know they're so used to, they even and most of people speak English, that it's just a matter of a couple days in there, and you will fall in love because you will feel like you live in the Mexican culture around lots of expats, a lot of people that, that they're coming and going
0: since you've been in this region for a while, I mean, you've come and go yourself, but is it much different now than it was then? What effect are they having on the the culture?
1: Well, on the culture, everybody's getting more like, unfortunately, the locals, they prefer more the tourists. Not the local tourists, they prefer the the international tourists. Now, how much is affecting? I can tell you that on the population, 60% of that population is expats. 60% six zero percent of the population is expats. 40% of the population is Mexicans. So most of the businesses now are being owned by the expats. And everything started like this, you know. The Mexicans will have the restaurant, will have their shops, and will have their businesses. And, you know, have a very low income. As the time is passing by, the expats come over and say, you know, I'll rent your place. I'll give you $1,000 a month. And this local, he feels like, you know what, I could spend the whole day surfing, fishing, just kicking back while this guy is paying me a rent that I'd be able to live, you know, without working much. Because the income in Mexico on these areas, you know, 100 to $120 a week is what most people earn. So when somebody say, I give you this much, they're like, yes. Well, what they didn't realize is that as the time passed by, more and more start coming. They start not just renting now. They start buying. So these people that used to own a little, a little place end up selling the properties. You know, being like, "Wow, are you gonna give me what? Eight hundred thousand dollars for this?" Yes. After the time passed by, they don't realize that they're not the owners anymore. Now the expats own the businesses. Now the expats are the ones that bring in. You know, like they're they're taking the money. And the locals now are working for these people for $100 a week. And um, since everything now is being dollar-based on my country, Mexico, is dollar-based, a lot of the locals, they cannot afford the rents anymore. So they're moving inland, two, three miles, and they're like, you know what, instead of paying uh, $800 to $1,000 a month in here on rent, I just go two miles, three miles inland, and I will spend 150 to $200 a month on rent. But of course, you know, with the income that we have, quite often is families, like people, they do like roommates and whatever. And more and more expats are coming in because the town is becoming very expat welcome. And there is no regulation on my country just yet about taxes. There is no regulations about, you know, permits to open a restaurant. You know, it's very easy. You just go in, you can say, you know, I want to rent this place and you can make a restaurant. You can make, you know, you can buy a house or not necessarily buy a house. You can even rent the house, chop it up and make rooms. You use these new things, you know, Airbnb, you use the local social media. and need so much people trying to get to this little town that they don't know why or how in 2016 was the fastest growing town in the whole country according to forbes magazine 124 percent grow on one year so you know it's like a little snowball that started in the late 60s and now you know i don't know if they'll be able to stop it
0: and so what are you gonna do
1: what am i gonna do well you know what they say to the to the place that you go do what they do Honestly, I'm taking advantage of it because my business is based on international tourists. I'm taking advantage of it, yes. But I am not seeing, I guess I'm not seeing the the big picture on the future. It may be something that eventually they're going to display. You know, we're going to get like, bye-bye. One way to find out, you know.
0: Right. Wait it out. See what happens. How would you say that actually affects like local children, for instance, to have that many foreign people around in the town that they're growing up in?
1: Okay, well, I would say that the little ones, they seen it as a good thing because we got all the towns around and it's just a matter of you going like eight miles north, away from the touristy areas, and you will see the income on all these people is, how the lifestyle, I know, uh, like as yesterday I was driving by and I, I, I was driving by this little town, and I saw maybe sixteen to twenty kids, like from the age of six, seven to twelve, fourteen. They all were on the street having fun, enjoying themselves, playing uh, soccer, baseball. You know a lot of these activities. I, I I was surprised, and I said, "Look at these kids! They don't. None of them have an electronic device on their hands." So, hey, you know what? It, it, it cannot, I cannot say if it is good or if it is bad. But I seen these kids on the uh, the new generations on the expat towns. I can totally tell that the kids are getting so used to a little more income, and you know they see other kids with a tablet, with a cellphone. And you see those kids, and and you're like, I don't think it's gonna be a good thing. But at the same time, you know, you gotta catch up with the way the world is going. So I will have turned feelings, you know, between, I cannot tell you if it's good, if it's bad, but I can see how only a few miles away, people still live with the culture, the old style. And in places like this, they are like if you are in America. Mm-hmm.
0: This is a question I have as a person who runs a show that a lot of expats listen to. Is there anything that expats can do to not affect the culture that they're in so much? I mean, some of them, like me, are very temporary, so I come and go, and, you know, nobody remembers that I was there. <laughs> you know, they're just like, Katie came, she left, she bought some gum, she paid some bills, you know, and then she was out of there. But, but is there anything that if you're going to be a long-term expat that you can do to not overwhelm a town like that, even if it is the place that you m- so much want to live?
1: Um, uh, it,
0: m- it might be impossible. Like, yes. you'll bring your culture with you regardless, so...
1: Yes, unfortunately, you know, I do not think it's nothing they can do because it's just, it's just like you cannot stop the flow. And people, you know, even that they're in another country and they may say, "We love this country, we love this food, we love the, you know, the people how make you make us feel." As the group is growing and growing and growing and on, the sudden you see that there is more expats than locals. I don't think it's anything you can do. But but the, the advice that I could give, try not to change things because eventually you're gonna be just like at home but in a different country. Uh there is a scenario right now going on I'm, I don't know if I will get in trouble by, by sharing this, but you know, um the expats now on my town are getting trying to get into politics. They're trying to do something very like like they do in America, which is lobbying, that's not gonna end up good. So yes, if you're gonna be an expat, do not get involved too much. You know, be volunteer, uh, you know, enjoy whatever is on the surroundings. But when these people are trying to change exactly the culture, you know, uh, Mexicans will be like, we'll do it tomorrow. The Mexicans will be, this is the way it is, you know, we got issues with this, we got issues with that. And we will live our lives having issues, you know? We don't have the construction codes, stuff like that. Expats come over and they say, this is wrong. We gotta do it this way. And you try to change those things and you say, you know, I cannot, they, they're like, we cannot change this. How do we do it? Let's get into politics. They're Technically they're illegal, mm-hmm. but they wanted to, to be like the puppet masters. And then is when I think things are not gonna, Things are not going to end up good. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you're an expat and moving to whatever country you're going, try to do the things the way they do it. And if you don't like it, you know, you can go somewhere else. But if you try not to change the direction or the, the habits of the culture and so on, you'll be welcome and you'll be able to, to let other people behind you come over and being able to experience the same thing that you experienced the first time you went there for the first time.
0: Do you see yourself ever living in a different country again?
1: Uh, yes, yes. I was gonna say no, <laughs> but I, uh, you know, one thing. I was in Canada last August, and I love it. And I will. I definitely would see myself living there six months of the year when it's not snowing like crazy. Yes, yes. Uh, if you would ask me this month and a half, two months ago, I would say no. I love my country. I will stay here. But I had a chance to taste that, and honestly, Canada, I love it.
0: And what if your reality star career is, is that a, something that you hope remains in your future for a long period to come?
1: Honestly, no. I don't, I don't think so. As it is, you know, um, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm totally not depending on that maybe last year i would say i will say yes nah honestly it is what it is you know it's it's if i want to be in it it pretty much will be the ego the one telling me yeah you got to do it and you know ego is our worst enemy and egos you know what ego stands for go ahead everybody got one and (laughs) you know i honestly nah i just took it like it is it was a fluke i was in the right place at the right time everything in life has a cycle i'm not saying that it's over i wish it could keep going but if it is over it's over and you know let's move on you know let's get the best out of it so i got popular and now i'm you know i'm walking around and and it is very flattering that people recognize you or say i want a picture with you but it is what it is it will fade away and you know everything will go back to normal and just get the most right now i'm using the popularity to start a business and that's what i'm doing
0: yeah yeah has it changed how uh locals interact with you i know they don't sh- you said that they don't show the show down here so does it has actually changed your day-to-day life or is it all just visitors and tourists and people like my family that invited you to a wedding
1: i uh, would we'll say that it will it's like living in disneyland a lot of people <laughs> coming a lot of people coming and going you know they may acknowledge you oh that is that guy you know it's part of the town uh the locals not too many know about it only a few and, you know, it's been three years I got so used to it. But the first year, yes, it was like everybody want to hang out with me. Oh, you know, this is the guy that is on the show. Hey, we'll buy you drinks, come over. Things are getting, you know, kind of normal, you know. At the beginning, yes, I will be like all pumped up, like, hey, this is me. What's up, guys? And now I'm like, you know, what? I, I was just there. And, and a lot of people say, you were in TV. Yeah, I was in TV. So now it's normal.
0: I want to end by telling you that I don't know the exact title, but... So I Googled you after meeting you, of course, as people do these days. And the first or second article that popped up was something along the lines of why every single person on The Bachelor in Paradise sucks except for Jorge, the bartender.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I guess they portrayed me good. That's why. That's the only reason why that uh, that's what they say. But something I truly believe in, something I live by is treat everybody the way you want you wanted to be treated that's my rule maybe that's the reason why they they portrayed me as that
0: yeah. well thank you so much for taking the time to sit on this roof with me and uh, and talk
1: it was a pleasure thank you very much it was it was great meeting you and i really really appreciate this
0: all right this is the bittersweet life i'm katie Sewell. talk to you next week bye thanks for all the ways you support us give us a good rating on itunes maybe five stars if you like the show It will help other people discover that we exist. Thank you. You're the best.